Boys Lunch. This is Joey and Paul, two Catholic teachers discussing life. We're back. It's our first of the new year, although I posted earlier in January. This is our first time getting together. Uh, school Second semester started a little bit later. Um, this is our second week of class, but we are here. And we are living life. We're the, talk louder, man. What are you doing? What, I'm so sorry. I'm out of practice. <laughs> I'm nervous. Are you in a chair? You look small. I think it's because there's a desk between us. You've turned this desk sideways. Now we are further away from each other. You look very short. I do look short in this. It okay. is a tall desk and a small chair. Hey, but a lot has happened. I don't. We haven't um, recorded since finals week, so a lot of just stuff in our lives have happened. We are glad to be back. Um, we have boys' lunch emails and stuff, and we finally met uh, with Casey, our intern. Yes, he is indeed alive and well. Mm-hmm. He's transferring to Mizzou. Good for him. And uh, yeah, seems to be doing really well. And uh, is, I'm proud of you, Casey. Yes, we appreciate you actually coming in and giving us the passwords to our accounts. And so, just a little life update. That as well. Yeah, we definitely we appreciate that. The human first, the, the password second. I, for those that have actually listened to all the episodes, Casey talked about um, when he pursues some type of journalism mm-hmm. and uh, radio broadcast, and he's going to be able to do that at Mizzou. So we're really excited for him. So a little life update. I'm not saying we Casey gave him his start, but um... I think he used this to leverage a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we're uh, we're proud of you, yeah, Casey. Proud of you, Casey. Thank you. Well, cool. Have you been? Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year to our listeners. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's great. I had a phenomenal break. Very minimal traveling. Lots of rest. Lots mm-hmm. of time with the family. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. How about yeah, you? I think uh, I think both of us had similar. Uh, we got to take it in a little bit more. Uh, maybe there wasn't as much uh, hoopla and stuff, but uh, hoopla. We, I think, uh, Christmas Eve, we got to be with uh, my parents and, and brothers and their and nieces and nephews and just kind of be with them all day. We didn't get to see all of my extended family, but uh, at least we got to make the most of that. So that was special. And then Christmas, uh, spending the day with Sella's parents and, and family. Uh, it was cool. Yeah. New Year's was fun too. Yeah. Did you guys do anything? Uh, we got together to with some, like a countdown or anything. Uh, we did get together with some friends and did a I feel like a random countdown at like mm, eight forty. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't even like on the hour. Uh, and they had some some like party favors and stuff that the girls had a blast with. And then I think we actually made it till eleven. So maybe you guys we, didn't make it to midnight. No, no. What has happened? What is it? Did you did you make it to midnight? Yeah. Did you guys? I mean, we fell asleep at twelve oh five. Right. But we made it to midnight. <laughs> He just like, are you watching anything on the TV at midnight? Yeah. Uh-huh. The, is there a ball drop in Chicago or what happens? St. Louis? Um, Peoria? I mean, we watched the 11 o'clock New York one. Right, of course. Yeah, it's yeah. classic. It, it, they show something. I don't know. It might have been like New Orleans. Yeah. How does something Central, in the Central Time How does Central Time ring in the New Year? I, I, I guess I'll never find out. That is well, just... I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice the way uh, our break was set up. We got like two full weeks after Christmas um, just to kind of rest and relax. Yeah. So it kind of gave us an excuse not to do all the hustle and bustle leading up to Christmas and spend more days. Like Christmas is like, well, it just has to happen. So we're doing it, and now we get to relax afterwards. So there's yeah, definitely like moments of, of being tense, I think, for mm-hmm. me, but uh, the majority of it was nice. Yeah, no offense to the month of January. You're great. Uh, <laughs> the less I have to teach, though, in the month of January, the better. So yeah. Last year we were back January 2nd, so it was nice to get back about a week later. Were we really? Yeah, it was really early in January. Shut the front door. January and February is always a bit of a slog. Not a lot of sun. 
it's cold out. We've had a pretty mellow, like mellow, weather-wise January. Though, oh, for so sure. It's been nice. Uh, I was able to, I, I took a break from the Brothers K because I just, my mind needed a break. And, and our listeners are also thanking you. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome, everybody. And I've like been trying not to make podcasts based on it. Um, but I got to read a different book. So that was kind of a, a joy of break was like. Hey, you did some good reading. Feeling, uh, I don't know, feeling validated that you can do other things right now. You don't have to be like creating this for something. Mm-hmm. I think that felt nice being able to really read a book. Reading for leisure. Who would have thought? Yeah. So did you have anything like that that you were able to accomplish for break? And, um, did you do of... anything with your life, Paul? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some good rest and good reading. Uh, definitely delved into a couple of books that I have been sitting on my table for a, a long time, at least since the summer. Yeah. yeah. So again, yeah. I was able to enter into that. Um, but ultimately it's just, yeah, a lot of quality time with the family, which is very fortunate for. I think kids are getting older too. So like mm-hmm. a, a lot more interactive play, like yeah. board games and different things where it's like, uh, there's, there's good moments of that and just yeah. like remind myself to enjoy that. Trying to teach like Cisco how to play chess, you know, like mm-hmm. just like things like that. They're getting older. So like there's new things like, Oh, this whole new world is opening up. We get to do this or that. We got a Nintendo Switch in the home yeah. now. So yeah, congratulations. Uh, loved loved playing you know, four-person Mario Kart. Yeah. Um, Mary and I's battle. And when, once the kids go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it is kind of like... We've a, had some of those. We're selling and I just <laughs> look at each other like, should we should play? We? <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, a little mini competition at the top, and the girls are kind of battling it out and learning and having fun. And one of my favorite memories, though, was her sister, Anne who has no real experience playing video games, just losing her mind with just pure joy at like all, I don't think she grew up playing Mario yeah. Kart at all. So just had no idea what was happening. This is happen- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what is this world? So cool. <laughs> yeah, that's so. awesome. Yeah, we had a blast. Uh, thank you to all the family and friends that made it special. It was nice. Yes, shout out to you. Uh, school so far, we had a uh, in-service day the first day on Monday, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even being sarcastic. It was like a good day for us to uh, look forward to our future. Some of the plans that we mentioned before, like changes coming next year, just to make sure that, like we're, I don't know, preparing ourselves mentally, spiritually. Yeah. I mean, just equipping ourselves yeah. to hit the ground running next year Being when there the are page. some different change, different changes coming our way that are all good that we've talked about, like you said previously. Share best um, practices. Yeah, it was good. It was good to get together as a theology department. For Heck yeah. We did some good work as hours. a theo department. Just brainstorming like i don't know it was, it's always exciting to be creative like together mm-hmm. in a community like and i think that was fun to do that and uh i was looking forward to those moments of yeah. work yeah sick brother so for all those college kids out there group work doesn't mean it's isn't always going to be bad it can be a good thing <laughs> <laughs> transition it, uh, I, I missed a day last week and uh, we had Martin Luther King Day off, so it just, I don't know if we'll ever, and the counselors are coming next week. So, like, it's one of those, uh, I think you've had that before, the beginning of uh, second semester. It's like, am I going to get a full week? Especially like, if we have snow days and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'll get in a rhythm. We had, we had a good talk. Today, <laughs> I'm going to be fine. That's the only thing that's kind of maybe lacking right now. Cool. Anything else going on? No, just waiting for that first snow day. I know you maybe don't want one, but my girls have been dying. All right. So, something else that happened over break. Um, Pope Benedict passed away, Pope Benedict XVI, who stepped down from being the Pope in 2013, uh, has been alive and living in the Vatican Gardens the past 10 years, uh, but he passed away on New Year's Eve. So we wanted to kind of do a podcast. What are you smirking about? 
Oh, I'm smirking because I uh, just pictured him living in a garden. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> People don't really know what the Vatican Gardens are. It's just like they put him in like uh, – you've been to St. Louis. They've got that uh, beautiful botanical garden. garden. It's just, it's just the Pope. <laughs> He's been lost uh, for years. Not, we can't find him. We're not mocking his death. We're, no, never. Yeah. Uh, but he passed away over over break. So we wanted to do some kind of podcast honoring him in uh, some of the, the things that he contributed that helped change our lives. I think we both uh, enjoy him. I think I've always leaned maybe towards John Paul II because he was a lot more maybe dynamic. And I don't think I realized how much Benedict had an impact uh, until I actually sat back and reflected because he became Pope in 2005. Uh, that was right when I was starting high school and then resigned right when I was leaving college. It's like very formative years for me during my high school and college years when I'm really finally getting into my faith and taking it seriously and studying theology. So, um, and then just like not recognizing how much he had actually contributed to the church and the theology that I was learning at school at that mm -hmm. time. I think it's unique when, you know, for the first time in a long time, if we had a living Pope, you know, step down, they're like, you know, he didn't really get the remembrance that normally a pope who died. Poor Benedict. I think, uh, yeah, so it's like he was alive and I was still reading his stuff, but um, his impact, yeah, it wasn't until, yeah, he, he did pass this New Year's Eve that it was like, I don't know, it took me a while to realize exactly, like having sat through it and read all these articles and, and reminded of all that he did and the, and the role that he played in the church. I've enjoyed like the last 10 years, every now and then you get like the little picture that's spread of like just him praying in that simple like monastery yeah. in the Vatican or like him with a huge beer stein, but like 90 <laughs> years old, just like kind of smirking. You're like, oh, <laughs> Benedict. Um, I think he had a great last like decade of his life, mm -hmm. uh, but I just want to pull out a few things maybe that impacted us and that might impact other people. Joseph Ratzinger was his name before he became Pope and uh, became well known within the church for his uh, theological contributions. He was a great teacher from a young age. Uh, people saw his gifts when he was in his 30s. He, he was a theological advisor at the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. So normally it's like bishops there and well-established theologians, but he was kind of on the up and coming and his cardinal invited him to come. Uh, and was already able to make an impact there. And I guess I'll just set up a lot of his life and what he was passionate about, what he was really well versed on was the idea of like how to study, but also just um, to read the Bible in a way that is inspiring and living. Mm -hmm. And that was like from the get go, kind of his contributions to the theological world. A lot of the reason that I was taught biblical theology and Benedictine was the, the principles that he helped reestablish in the church. Yeah. When our, our modern age, we became a little more historical critical, mm -hmm. meaning like they looked at, well, let's take away a lot of the, um, the, the miraculous, the miraculous. And let's look at like, just what were the words that were said? What were the events that like literally happened more of a literal reading? They deconstruct, yeah, they're deconstructed. Yeah. And it's, uh, instead, yeah, instead of taking scripture as a whole, they're, you know, taking these points and they're, I don't know, analyzing them to death is kind mm -hmm. of how I see Over experimenting it. on something and seeing it just as like another historical or a bunch of just a collection of historical books together. Right. And not as this narrative of different genres that speak in different ways mm -hmm. at all times of uh, yeah. humanity. Mm -hmm. And so he helped really bring back how the Bible was read in the ancient church and the medieval church. It was labeled as a progressive at the time, but he's like, no, this is how it's done. This is how it should be done. Uh, and that's, I think, going to shape a lot of his teachings. Yeah. His first book that made him famous 
1968. It was a series of lectures that he gave when he was a professor um, that they compiled into a book called Introduction to Christianity. Not the most exciting name in the world, but if you read it, uh, there's a lot there. So I'm going to let you talk about that because yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of a misnomer. It's you think introduction of Christianity, it's going to be like all right. Here's the basic principles. Um, he hits on them all because he, he actually in about two thirds of the book or more is him running through the creed. But it's like it's got such depth and speaks um, to the searching Christian or the searching human uh, in so many different ways. It is. Um, there's a lot there to unpack, and it is kind of a daunting book, but it's one that I ran into during college that was, um, I was searching for all these different philosophies and ways of how am I going to live my life, what is going to be my creed, and I was just kind of discerning all these different things, and especially in the first hundred pages of this book, he does a phenomenal job of giving this um, holistic view of where belief is and the philosophies that led us to, to that point. And he did, does such a good job of giving credit where credit is due with these philosophers post-enlightenment, but at the same time showing how each one is maybe leaves leaves you wanting. It's not satisfying for whatever reason. And um, he did such a wonderful job of um, kind of shaping how I viewed meaning and purpose, uh, shifting it from I'm going to will it, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to force my way in this world and figure it out to kind of uh, more of a receptive disposition. And I'll just read this brief section here. It says, meaning is the bread on which man, in the intrinsically human part of his being, subsists. Without the word, without meaning, without love, he falls into the situation of no longer being able to live, even when earthly comfort is present in abundance. Everyone knows how sharply this situation of not being able to go on anymore can arise in the midst of outward abundance. Meaning that is self-made is in the last analysis, no meaning. Meaning that is the ground of which our existence as a totality can stand and live, cannot be made, but only received. And he goes on to talk about how belief, right? This, this idea that it's me conforming myself to the will of God, me receiving that meaning by my very existence because God loved so much that he created and that we are sustained in that love and that it is Christ who shows what that fullness of humanity is. It's not my will forging my own meaning, but in fact, I, I receive it by the, by the grace of God, by the love in which God brought about. So, I mean, um, for me, it just really shifted my worldview on, on exactly where my meaning comes from. So, I think like uh, what I kind of mentioned is his ability to teach, to take something like the creed or like a title, Introduction to Christianity, it's not like always the most like eye-catching thing or like it's not going to always grab your attention. Like I don't necessarily want to read a book on the creed, but when you read what he's able to do with the creed, like, wow, like you're able to weave in all these different areas of theology and philosophy in a way that is captivating yet like understandable. And there's some parts in the intro Christianity when I was trying to read it, I'm like, I feel a little out of my water here, but then he'd always kind of bring it back. Yeah. That, and he has different styles of books, but. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of his writing is it does it. I mean, it he hits the intensely human aspect of the faith and he does so in a way that is manageable, but also challenges you uh, to, to think deeper, deeper, to, to be broader in your perspective and, and to, and then of course his depth of knowledge, the man was brilliant. And I don't know if you, I, you brought this up, but he's, um, but he's not like he's trying to flaunt it, but he's just a bit, I don't know, his ability to write to everyone. Anyone can pick up his book and grab something from it. Um, and yeah, there's parts where it feels like I'm like, I'm underwater because I'm like, I don't know where he's going or how he's, how he's brought this about, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but he always brings it back. Yeah. He was part of a, a group in the mid 1900s that really focused on 
proper place of, of scripture, bring the scriptures back in the right way. He did a beautiful commentary on Genesis that helps us um, understand really how to read one of the most foundational books of the Bible, where kind of you had both, you had extremes on both sides, fundamentalists kind of misrepresenting creation and, and, and humanity. And then on the other side, like scientists ripping apart Genesis, Benedict was able to give this like level-headed uh, anthrop anthropological look, sociological look, whatever, but also theological. Like this is how it's always been read. And this is how we can help read this to the modern world mm -hmm. and make it more like legitimize faith and reason working together. Yeah. So commentary on Genesis, um, a big return to the fathers of the church. For those of you that maybe have listened to some of our episodes or more into theology, uh, these groups, this group of teachers from the first few hundred years of Christianity that hold this pride of place because of their proximity to Christ and the contributions of theology they were able to give us, um, they really champion, let's return to the fathers and bring back their wisdom uh, as we're looking at this new situation of how do we address the church in this modern world. As he goes on, when John Paul's elected, he uh, puts Benedict as the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, meaning he was basically the, the head of doctrine and theology and teaching mm -hmm. of the church, just making sure that the church was staying on the right track, that truth was being preserved and presented uh, in places where Christians had always lived and in these new areas as well. He uh, came on, I guess, like the church scene, especially in 1984, as kind of more like this pastoral leader who can push us into this new um, evangelization mm -hmm. along with John Paul. He gave a, an interview and it, it was titled in America, the Ratzinger Report, where 20 years after the council, they're really basically just asking him on the state of the church and his ability to like call people out who are misrepresenting, misinterpreting the how the Holy Spirit moved the people of the council. Ratzinger called people out that were abusing the liturgy and, and, and changing and abusing doctrine. Um, and gave, I think, a level-headed and healthy analysis of the church, saying that's not what we intended, but we st like don't give up now. There's still good here. There's still truth here. Hmm. I want to fast forward. Do you want me to do spirit of liturgy now, or did you want to do your God is love? It's up to you. Okay. I'm going to do uh, something that touched me briefly, and then we're going to get to his papacy. Uh, some of his writings and his papacy, I know that you want to touch on that really helped. Uh, I think one of his lasting legacies is his, his theological prowess. Introduction to Christianity, uh, but also his love for the liturgy and his his uh, how he sees how that is necessary for our right relationship in order to God and to everyone else. Uh, that the man knew that the new evangelization could happen by respecting the way that the, the mass has always been done, while adapting to some of these changes that can happen. Mm -hmm. These organic changes, not just making it as he says a parish tea party, uh, not to squander away the treasures of the liturgy. But to make sure that it was centered on Christ and not just what we're getting out of it, not just the priest as an actor and showman, not just on the singer, the cantor, the people in the crowd. It's not always about us. Mm -hmm. It's about this right order to God. Are we giving enough in that way? It's not supposed to be mere entertainment. It is supposed to be this Christocentric worship. It says, yeah, its power does not come from what we do, but from what is taking place. I think he was open to a lot of the um, organic changes and cultural changes that were happening for the liturgy uh, while being um, cautious about just throwing away things fast, mm -hmm. right? I think people try to pin him as this like super ultra traditionalist, uh, but he did love tradition. He loved Latin. He loved ad orientum, meaning the priest facing the other way, not necessarily always forcing it on people's 
mm. taste or whatever, but I, I don't know. His preservation of what the liturgy should be. He wrote a book called The Spirit of Liturgy in 2000, which was just kind of a phenomenal look through the scriptural elements and theological elements of the Mass. Uh, I'll just leave with one line before we go on to the next. Mm. That's always stuck with me. Uh, he said that the beauty of the liturgy lies in its unspontaneity. And that was something in my journey of Catholicism that I really liked, uh, that it was universal in its nature uh, across all time periods and cultures. The heart of the, the gospel is the same. The heart of the mass and the liturgy is the same. And what makes it so beautiful is I can go in any Catholic church and I know what I'm getting. I know what the liturgy is supposed to be about and how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can enhance it in different ways within their cultural um, means. Yeah. Uh, their style of um, of how they praise or, or what music they use mm-hmm. or if they're using incense or not, whatever. Those things all can add. But he said, like, the beauty lies in the unspontaneity. That it's not just a, what are we going to read today? Mm-hmm. Or like, maybe we'll do communion today. Maybe we won't. No, like, the heart of what Christ established at the last supper was there. Yeah, beautiful. So that was, like, a lot of me. Do you have anything about the liturgy or, or did I... No, I think you misrepresent artic- anything. No, I think you articulated that well. I, um, yeah, I think it's unfair that he's sometimes painted as this, um, yeah, someone who wanted to return to pre-Vatican II ways. No, I think he was beautiful, especially with the growth in the church in Africa. Um, you, you know, you see in his visits and and the the music that's played and kind of the um, the orchestration of the mass and, and the the way in which they allow the culture of the people to to find its place within the liturgy, but at the same time, why we're there for what reason? We're there for what takes place on that altar and, what, and who we receive in the Eucharist. It was still like affirming the people that um, are edified by the Latin Abs- Mass. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he took such a balanced and intelligent approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was, that's the beauty in all of his writing is um, for someone who, just looking at him, he doesn't look like a loving, caring someone who, you know, it just, he has this, um, th- there's some great pictures of him smiling, but mm-hmm. he's often painted as just like, I don't know, this um, rigid uh, German figure. Yeah. Um, when in reality, um, I think he had such a great love for the church and such a... Uh, for humans. And yeah. for humanity yeah. as a whole, not just Christians. And he and the way in which he wrote um, has such a balanced and loving approach that it, it appealed to everybody. In the last, I guess, I uh... have three things maybe that we can hit on first and very quickly, like his, his own election to the papacy. I think it was known by all the Cardinals. Once he gave that um, homily really after John Paul II died, like this man is our next leader. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be a leader, but sometimes, and, and we talked about this, that, that makes sometimes the greatest leader, one who doesn't need that role, mm-hmm. um, but is the right person for the job. Uh, but he writes three encyclicals as Pope. Uh, those are just, uh, letters and teachings of the Pope addressed to the bishops and the people of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he chose to write on uh, the idea of God is love, Deus caritas es, uh, that we are saved by hope, space salve, and charity and truth, which is like a social encyclical, mm-hmm. uh, caritas and veritate. So those are, I think, for 2005, 2009, he writes those. Yeah. Um, and I know that even before we talked about Pope Benedict, you, you mentioned that Deus caritas es, God is love, um, had always kind of impacted you uh, just in the way that he's able to I don't know, bring that out. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't know, um, the idea that God is love, uh, you hear that, and I think I had these connotations, or for me, it just maybe it was unfair, just like this hippie, you know, God is love, you know, there's yeah. this, this peace and love and all this. I don't think I understood the depths of what it means to love mm-hmm. and, and to put that within the context of the Christian meaning, uh, or just like God is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, is 
no, God is, um, God is going as a complete gift of himself, right? In the person of Jesus Christ, in his self-sacrificial gift on the cross, and the most, um, to, you know, to lay down his life, to give his only son. I mean, this, the, the nuances there of love and how it works, or the fact that out of creation, it is out of love that we are created. Um, so to, to put it in a way that was so, um, I don't know, digestible, but at the same time, it challenged you to, to, to alter your own approach to what it doesn't mean to love and who am I in that? And he, the, his, one of his most famous lines is at the, is in the introduction of Deus Caritas as says, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives new li gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Right? It, uh, the Christian faith is not, I'm going to know my doctrine, you know, have the answer to a multiple choice test, do my workbook, right? At the heart of it is a relationship with a living Christ, right? And, and it is our relationship with Christ that we come to know ourselves. Um, we come to know what it means to love others. And it's it's in that that I think this book does so well to put that into words that, that challenges us to grow more, to be self-giving. A little bit later, he goes, God does not demand of us a feeling, which we ourselves are incapable of producing. He loves us. He makes us see and experience his love. And since he has loved us first, love can also blossom as a response within us. This call to love comes about by um, the very gift of life in which we, re we have received, right? Um, the fact that you know, my dignity comes about not for what I can do or who I am or what name I make for myself, but the very fact that I exist and, um, and what that call to love as a Christian actually means. Mm -hmm. um, only is possible because of what he has given me and, and his love for me right, as a child of God. And so I think there's a ton of different things you could pull from this book. Um, but I, I, his encyclicals are manageable. Like there's a lot of, I think introduction to Christianity is a little bit more challenging, but I think his encyclicals are a way to really get to the heart of who he was as a person. And what he cared about was he finally gets that platform. Mm -hmm. What do I really feel like the church needs to hear? Like that's, that's something for a guy who'd been in, Theological world for so long and it was an author uh, and a teacher um yeah that's big i think just reclaiming that idea of uh that catholics maybe have lost that personal relationship mm. uh, i think he's a great champion of that uh in space i'll be i just have a few quotes yep. that are classics of his um i'm not gonna go but just that idea of hope within our modern world he said a distinguishing mark of christians is that they have a future it is not that they know the details of what awaits them but they know in general uh, in general terms, that their life will not end in emptiness. The idea of we have this future, we don't always know what's going on, but we know like from introduction to Christianity, there is meaning in what is coming uh, coming ahead of us. It's not just this life of emptiness. Uh, we might always have all the answers, but if we're staying steady, we know that person and receiving the love that he is pouring out while trying to also give of ourselves. He said, the dark door of time of the future has been thrown open. The one who has hope lives differently. The one who has hope has been granted the gift of new life. And I've seen that quote a lot. The one who has hope lives differently. Uh, I think that is very true. The, the call at least of what he's trying to do for us within this modern world. Be different than the people around you. All right. And his last encyclical uh, was Caritas and Veritate, Charity and Truth. It was a social encyclical kind of going, um, building off some of the a tradition of the Pope's writing on social issues, Christian principles that we can help apply to our society. I think uh, you had something else. Yeah, and yes, uh, <laughs> yes. In a world where we 
we prioritize being nice and not um, maybe standing for the truth because we're afraid of conflict or the idea of loving someone is, is affirming them in everything. Um, I think we miss the point of what it means to love someone. And he says here, only in truth does charity shine forth. Only in truth can charity be authentically lived. Truth is the light that gives meaning and value to charity. It grasps its meaning as gift, acceptance, and communion. Without truth, charity degenerates into sentimentality. Love becomes an empty shell to be filled in an arbitrary way. In a culture without truth, this is the fatal risk facing love. It falls prey to contingent subjective emotions and opinions. The word love is abused and distorted to the point where it comes to mean the opposite. Um, love is willing the good of another. And sometimes it is having a difficult conversation with an individual standing for the, standing up for the truth. Um, and yeah, it's, it's again, a, a challenge to an authentic understanding of what it means to love um, and to love an individual. And so it's yeah, beautiful in his, yeah. in his words. We just kind of wanted to talk about him as we were, I think we're reflecting on his papacy and, and, and picking up some of his works again after uh, his passing. Uh, just thought it'd be good to at least uh, give some honor and, and some attention his way. Uh, maybe for people that are getting into their faith or just uh, looking for something to inspire them to read through, to think about. Uh, he, he wrote a series while he was Pope, the Jesus of Nazareth series. Mm -hmm. It was three different books um, about three parts of his life that is very uh, accessible. But what a, what a great leader, what a great influence. And like I, I was saying in the beginning, I think I just didn't realize how much of an impact he had had because I was in the midst of it and studying all these things. I didn't even realize that my professors were using a lot of his mm -hmm. uh, interpretive skills, um, his theological uh, contributions. Uh, so I think a, a lot more of a a hidden influence on the church than maybe someone like John Paul II. Yeah, I don't think anyone will, it would be impossible to grasp the fullness of the impact that he had on the church itself. Um, but yeah, very much um, I, the calls for him to be a doctor of the church, I think are, are, are yeah. Which is crazy to think that we, we're living through this um, life of a man who is like that and maybe not recognizing and appreciating that. When I think that's in the simplicity of his character and the humility in which he, yeah, yeah, he lived. He was the smartest person in the room, but didn't need to be the, mm -hmm. like, the smartest person in the room. Yeah, and so I would echo that. Um, if you're looking to get into Pope Benedict XVI and are looking for something to read during Lent or Advent, mm -hmm. yeah, his Life of Christ or um, no, Life of Christ is Fulton Sheen, but his um, Jesus of Nazareth series is wonderful. Yeah, I, I got to see the Pope. No big deal. Oh, sure. Uh, when he came to America in 2008, I got to go to uh, see him do mass at Yankee Stadium. Do mass, say mass <laughs> at Yankee Stadium. Uh, very cool. It's still early in his papacy. And I, like I was early in my faith kind of conversion as well. So like didn't really know him, but it was just so exciting seeing everyone's uh, respect and just, uh, I don't know, just the, the office itself and what yeah. it can do to people and what it represents. Uh, this vicar of Christ here on earth. It was uh, very impactful and, and something I will never forget. I went to uh, Rome when I was in college, and I was going to see him, but he was on his Lenten retreat at the time, so I did not get to see him. There. Thank you, Benedict. <laughs> You'll see him someday. God willing. Oh, yeah, in heaven. <laughs> maybe I was just talking about maybe go visit his tomb. Any shout-outs? Uh... Shout-out to Pope Benedict. Uh, shout out to Teddy Johnson again. Got to see him uh, over break. Shout out to his dad, Matt Johnson. Nice. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, we Casey. Yeah, Casey, of course. Um, JJ Jockey came in. Oh yeah. With uh, Andrew Scott, didn't mm -hmm. get to talk to them as much, but it was good seeing them. I actually went to JJ at the Proving Ground 
uh, oh. this past week, and I was not climbing. He was climbing. Uh, Callan Schmidt also came in yeah. with JJ one day. Kaylin. Adam Bonifant. Adam Bonifant? Again? We talked about the last time. Was that the last time? I don't remember. We already, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we do? Yeah, we gave him a shout out last time. But yeah, Adam Bonifant. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, cool, cool. Chilling, chilling. For the, the kingdom. kingdom. 